0: Presented by Kamyuk Ukulele Magazine, this is Ukulele Stories. This episode is brought to you by Carla. No instrument has had an effect on ukulele music quite like the Carla U-Bass. Since its introduction in 2008, the U-Bass has grabbed the attention of bass players and media alike. Bass Player Magazine praised the original U-Bass for its colossal low end and huge fun factor. The acoustic electric U-Bass features a custom shadow pickup and EQ with built-in tuner to dial in the sonic boom. Originally designed as a baritone ukulele with bass strings, the Kala U-Bass has evolved into the perfect bass instrument for ukulele groups, and as a handy bass guitar in the wider musical community. Today, the Kala U-Bass range features models made from solid mahogany, solid spruce top, exotic mahogany, striped ebony, and the recently introduced journeyman, passenger, and wanderer basses. Players can now choose from the original polyurethane strings, which mimic the feel of an upright bass, and round wound metal strings, which deliver a sharp, trebly tone. Whatever the model, there's now a Carla U-Bass to suit every bass player. Check them out at your local Carla dealer. Hello, my name is Cameron Murray, and welcome to episode 5 of Ukulele Stories. Danielle ate the sandwich. No, not just a statement, but the stage name of talented American artist, Danielle Anderson, who I'm very pleased to say is my next guest. Thanks to her often hilarious YouTube videos, Danielle has tens of thousands of fans, or fanwidges as they're known, all around the world. But there's much more to her than just humor. Danielle is a fantastic singer and one of the best songwriters I know. I really enjoyed our wide-ranging, somewhat philosophical chat, and I hope you do too. This is Danielle's ukulele story. Okay, hey Danielle.
1: Hey Cameron, how you doing?
0: I am not bad, not bad at all. How's it going in uh, Kansas City, is that where you are?
1: Yes, Kansas City, Missouri, it's going great. It's a hot summer day, but life is good.
0: Excellent. Well, first of all, Kansas City kind of evokes for me like a frontier town. Is that kind of the way it is?
1: Yeah, that could be so. It's definitely in the Midwest and um, there there are probably things that would remind you of of like the settlers and pioneers here uh, and like the prairie it's on the plains, so it's flat and or it's it's right next to Kansas, which is very flat. Uh, as opposed to, like, the west side of the United States, which has mountains and uh, and is desert. So the Midwest is nice and flat and definitely a place where pioneers hung out.
0: Mm, yeah, I guess that's my kind of Australian... Well, I'm not really Australian, but my foreigner's view, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I, I always wonder how much you guys know about our place because, you know, I know limited stuff about your place, but...
0: I think people... Elsewhere in the world, know a lot more about America than America knows about the rest of the world, just in yeah. general, because of because of movies and, you know, and whatever else. Yeah, but um, you actually grew up in Nebraska, right?
1: I did grow up in Nebraska, so that's also a midwestern plain state. They have museums in Nebraska that are like Pi- Pioneer Village, where it's like a recreation of um, of early settlers and and wagons and stuff like that. And then I lived in Colorado for about 15 a little more than 15 years and that's where I got my start in music and so I've been from a few places now but I'm currently living in Kansas City.
0: Why did you make the move from Nebraska to Fort Collins in Colorado?
1: I moved when I was still a kid so my mom moved um, to Colorado for a job promotion and it was something she always wanted to do a dream of hers so I moved under her roof uh, because I was in eighth grade And then um, I stayed for college, and after I graduated from college, I moved a few places, but then just stayed because it was a great town, and a great state, and it's really beautiful, and I was close to family, and uh, it felt right.
0: Nice. Let's get this out of the way early, because uh, people, well, they might ask, I don't know. I mean, this is going out to mainly ukulele people, so they probably know the story already, but why Danielle ate the sandwich?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's it's so it is and it's such an everyday thing for me that sometimes I forget how wacky it is. Um, My my given name is Danielle Anderson. And I just didn't feel like that had a showbiz ring to it. And I didn't want to be just another songwriter with a first and last name. Uh, So I thought, what should I do? Should I make up a fake name for myself, like a, a Madonna or something like that? And I thought, no, I like my first name. And um, I think food is fun to look at as far as illustrations or pictures of sandwiches and pizza and hot dogs and so I was kind of going through the list of food uh, and I thought pizza was too cool and hot dog was a little too sexy and I thought about sandwiches and I was like oh it's nice and colorful they come in many different shapes and sizes and price ranges and it has a nice sound to it Daniel like the sandwich sure why not And I picked the name when I wasn't really sure that it was something I'd be doing for my career and for such a long time. So it was definitely kind of hasty, if you will. I thought, sure, I'll just call myself this for the time being, Danielate the Sandwich. And then it really stuck and kind of became the perfect name for me as far as I'm concerned. A lot of, I think, grandmothers have a problem with it. They think it's a little too weird, but uh, it sort of makes sense to me that it's It's not taking itself too seriously, and it's sort of intriguing and hopefully memorable, uh, just like me. (laughs) Hopefully.
0: I think that's true, and I think that's great because, you know, sandwiches can be quite creative as well. You can get creative with a sandwich. You can put anything between bread and it's a sandwich, basically.
1: A hot dog between a sandwich. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Go nuts. Go nuts. Crazy. Um, Do you have a favorite type of sandwich then?
1: Yeah, I. I actually had a veggie sandwich today, uh-huh. so just vegetables on some bread, but yeah. I really like the classics, uh, grilled cheese and peanut butter and jelly. Yep. I, I say those when people ask, because those seem like safe, safe territory, and a lot of people are disappointed. A lot of people ask that question, too, what's your favorite sandwich? And I think they want me to say something more luxurious. Exotic. Like, yeah, like a... <laughs> Fine meats, lots of fine meats, dripping <laughs> with Dijon mustard, and they're always sort of disappointed. Or I think <laughs> they're probably hoping I say their favorite sandwich.
0: Well, I I think stick, sticking with the classics, you're probably uh, more likely to hit on their favorite as well. So you you know you're yeah. you're playing it right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. All right. Well, the ukulele then. When did you start playing?
1: I started playing the ukulele in about 2006. I uh, was playing guitar before I really got my hands on a ukulele, and one of my friends who had a house full of musical instruments, he was one of those people, had a ukulele at his house, and I thought, well, what is this? So I picked it up and um, started uh, goofing around on it, not knowing how to play it or, or what exactly to do or to put my fingers, but I just sort of tried to carry over what I knew from guitar, and I didn't necessarily play anything amazing right away but there was definitely something that caught my attention and I loved it and the whole time I was hanging out that night I didn't put it down and my friend was like you obviously love that thing do you want to borrow it and I was like yes so I got to go home with the ukulele and then when I actually had some time to look up you know, chords and, and think about it, uh, that night I think I probably wrote a song and then that week I wrote a couple songs and um, it sort of instantly bonded to me in the way that it, it was like, what is this thing? I'm speaking all these new songs from it and I just met it and we really had a runaway romance, if you ask me.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. You play tenor and baritone, don't you? Not, not soprano. Why do you choose those two?
1: Yeah, I think the first one I played was a concert and then I moved moved on to tenor size. Um, I like the larger size. It's easier for me to hold and handle. And um, also the company I worked with, Mayamoé Moe Ukuleles, um, had one that they let me try that was a, a concert body with a tenor neck. So it's kind of a hybrid. And that one really... St- worked out for me and I, and I liked it. So I chose, um, to, to get that ukulele and, um, and then the baritone I love, uh, just for still being a ukulele but having a different sound, a deeper sound. And a lot of my songs can be heavy and serious. So it's a really nice contrast to the brighter tones. Mm. I've never been serious about the, uh, soprano, even though I love when people play it. Just just um, wasn't for me. Just doesn't suit me. I don't know. Hmm. doesn't yeah. suit me, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I think a lot of people who are just getting into uke, they get a bit confused about the sizes and things, and I always just tell them, well, it's whatever suits you, you know, just try a few and you'll figure it out. That's probably the best way to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, YouTube, uh, I think you were probably one of the first ukulele people I ever saw on YouTube. What sort of impact did that have on your career in the early days?
1: Yeah, YouTube was essential to my career in the early days. I was playing and performing in real life in my town. In the real life? In the real life, not on the (laughs) internet. Um, Like at open mic nights and small concerts. But really, YouTube is... I I put up videos of me performing my original songs and covers on YouTube and um, people found out about my music from those videos and there are people all across the world. So I was working on it in my hometown of Fort Collins, Colorado, but YouTube just exponentially um, showed showed my music to people uh, from all over. And so uh, at that time, not everybody was on YouTube yet. Like it wasn't what it is now. It was still relatively easy to make make a name for yourself you know like to get a little attention and and YouTube was featuring videos randomly on the homepage. it wasn't like paid promotion things so I got a feature on the homepage one day randomly as far as I know I don't know how they picked my video uh, but that gave me tons of views and new subscribers and then from there I just slowly built it I put up my first videos on YouTube I think in 2006 or 7. So I've been on YouTube over 10 years and through that that's definitely where I've made most of my fans. They'll say I heard I saw your videos on YouTube just like you said like Yeah. Oh, we're, we came to your concert in New York because we saw you on YouTube. So mm. it's kind of been my publicist and my manager and it's been a great way for me to express myself and share my songs with Anybody who will listen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's some weirdos. Sometimes there's some weirdos listening. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) That's that's the internet again for you. Yeah. Uh (laughs) It is, in in some ways, like the real life, there are weirdos on there as well. Um, Great. How has YouTube changed then? I mean, obviously there's a lot more ukulele activity. And as you said before, the paid promotions is a, a completely different game now.
1: I think it's harder to get noticed and the people that I see getting noticed are really well, they're high quality um, and so I'm, I imagine a lot of them have put a lot of money and effort into the videos they're releasing and that's great. I think a lot of them have production teams and editors. Some of them are still doing it themselves but when I was doing it, I was doing it with my webcam And you know, like I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of amazing recording equipment. It was really just about the performance and the song. And I don't think that that would go as far today. I think it has to be a little more buttoned up in a nice shiny package. And like you said, there's so much out there. It's hard to make a wave of your own.
2: Mm.
1: I say this to people who I meet who are trying to get footing on youtube and they're like i just put up my videos and i'm not getting any views and it's like yeah it's it's difficult when you first get started but keep doing it it's worth it and um so and i think it's changed it feels like a tv channel now you know Mm. what i mean it it feels like there's advertisers and it's sort of um yeah a different a different game and i don't think that's necessarily bad it just it just feels like it got really big and and the the big the companies play on YouTube now and when I was on there I don't remember that that was really happening yeah I'm sure they just initiated ads and you know some things were starting to shake out but it still sort of just felt like a kind of organic internet website that a lot of people didn't even know exactly what was going on like what you just put up your videos on YouTube so it was kind of cute back then you know just that weird little thing I did
0: Well, and and the reason you became so popular on there is because of your sort of lo-fi endearing videos and and humor, I think it was a huge part of it. Uh, Yeah. What sort of role does humor play in your life generally and in your career?
1: That's a great question. Thank you for asking a great question. I love humor and my songs are often serious and very sentimental and emotional, but I always try to put a little bit of humor in, or cleverness into my writing. Um, in my stage performance and the YouTube videos we're talking about, I try to incorporate humor to almost give people a, a break, a breath of fresh air from what can be very serious content. And myself, I mean, Daniel the Sandwich comes from who I truly am as a person. I'm pretty wacky. I've always got an idea up my sleeve. I'm always saying stuff like well, it'd be funner if we put on hats and walked in <laughs> you know blowing blowing whistles uh, or trying to make games when when uh, conversation might be getting stale i I've got a colorful house and it's full of costumes and so something that I'm always aiming to do is make things a little more fun and personalized and silly and to do that in my videos, I think gave appealed to people because it gave them the excuse to do that too. Like, Oh, well, she's been, she's not taking herself too seriously. We want to, we want to dig into that and have fun too. Mm. So for me, I'm actually, I'm currently trying to pursue comedy a little bit more. Songwriting has always been the the majority of where my energy is headed. And, um I've enjoyed doing the comedy stuff so much that I'm kind of leaning into that more and
0: so sort of stand up or
1: I would love to perform stand up that's always been a dream of mine so yeah writing stand up I'm taking improv comedy classes and pre- performing that a little bit and then thinking about writing I haven't made a YouTube video in a while uh so I haven't done like a sketch like a lot of the YouTube videos feature little skits in front of the song performances and it's like oh what could I do this month to do something weird um, and funny and something that doesn't quite make sense but but improves your day a little bit to see so yeah I'm trying to lean into that more. I, I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer. So like being a musician was hard for me to sort of accept and go, oh, hey, I'm doing this. I'm good at this. And I'm just getting to that place with comedy. Like, I really enjoy this. I think I'm going to study it and try to get better. And then maybe someday I could say I'm just as much into comedy as I am to music. So that's a new exciting thing I'm doing.
0: Well, we all look forward to that. Um, you spoke about songwriting there for a second. How do you actually approach songwriting? Do you have to force yourself to sit down and write?
1: Yeah, that that's another good question. As I've grown older, um as a songwriter, my process has changed. So I'm currently in the middle of figuring out what it is my process looks like. When I was younger and in the past, I was just writing songs often and I and I they, I was very prolific and I um to this day I've released seven albums. Um, so it was never an issue. I was always just writing and I got inspiration and I was making work and being productive. And it's been um, a few years since I've really felt great about the new content I was writing. And I, my last album, um, my last album of new original music was released in 2016 and I just put out a live album this year um, but it was kind of repeats of some of the the greatest hits if you will so I'm I'm learning that uh, I'm still creative and I've still got things to say but I'm trying to establish uh, a more steady and sustainable daily practice of writing I'm actually in the middle of a It's a project called June Song A Day, where it's led by my friend who's also a singer-songwriter and ukulele player, Sky Zents, and we just write a song a day and share it in this online group, and you can listen to other people's things and comment on it, and the goal is to write one fairly finished song a day, so I've been doing that and keeping up with it, and that's a great practice, you know, because some days you write and it's not good, and it's like this song isn't going to go anywhere or this song is totally wacky and not my usual style. But then there are definitely a handful of songs that are really standing out to me as as good, uh, good children that will hopefully um, come into the family someday. So I don't know what my process is right now. Uh, in the past, it's been... I was a very dramatic and emotional person, so everything inspired me to write a song. And then I think as I'm growing up, I'm getting a little more stable and a little, honestly, just sort of, I've said a lot already. So it's like, what do I want to say now? And how do I say it in a new way that feels fresh and true to who I am becoming? And um, so that's a fun thing for me to realize as an artist. Uh, I'm evolving and that doesn't happen overnight or naturally. Sometimes you really have to work on it. And... um, I'm kind of doing that right now. I'm taking lessons and and trying to play new styles of music and, and just, I don't know, I guess it's self-care in a way. It's like digging back into being an artist and a creator and a writer. Um, for a lot of my career, I did a lot of performing and touring and driving and being out there and being in front of people. And now I'm sort of um, doing less, a little less of that, and trying to dig back into the notebook and uh, the blank page as opposed to the stage and the microphone. If that makes mm. sense.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting to me. I mean, I've only fairly recently started writing songs. Actually, that's I, I'm a late bloomer as well, so it's, it's taken me probably mm. ten years to write ten songs. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to go about it myself. How how to be a bit more. I guess, uh, determined to do it and, you know, um, knuckle down and do it basically. (laughs) So we'll see, we'll see what happens.
1: Yes. Good luck. It's definitely a thing that's easy to talk yourself out of, or that wasn't good or I don't feel like it today.
0: Well, I've never actually sat down and tried to write anything. I've just kind of, you know, inspiration strikes and I go for it. Um, and, then I just wait for the next wave of that to come along, but it might not be for another three years.
1: So. Yeah, that's what I was doing too.
0: It's not, not a very sustainable way to do it.
1: Right. That's what I was doing too, and then three years went by, and I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, I, better, I haven't I better, written I better, anything in three years. Whoops. I better get
0: on to this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, no, that's very interesting. How would you describe your own music? A question I hate to answer.
1: All right, I say I've said folk singer songwriter, and I've recently started saying pop folk singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. The reason I say song singer songwriter is so people know it's lyrically driven, and I'm me as the singer is is the showcased instrument or element.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I say folk because I'm playing acoustic instruments, and it feels you know, it's not music you would dance to at a club. Um, But I've started saying pop because I know there's Americana and bluegrass and country and blues, and all of those can be folk, folky as well. And I'm definitely a slightly different thing um, than Americana or bluegrass. I've, I've gone to some folk conferences or like folk festivals. And I thought I was going to be just like surrounded by people like me. And I realized that my music is quite, quite a bit more upbeat, um, even though I'm singing about death and <laughs> dismay, <laughs> but it like the sound of it, it could be the ukulele it, that, that's sort of helping boost the energy a bit or making it slightly friendlier
0: mm.
1: um, than maybe like a, con- a country singer on a guitar, you know. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you said you have a hard time explaining your own music too. It might just be that I'm in my own head um, about it too much, but I think it's difficult. And I say pop, folk, a singer-songwriter. That's the best I've come up with.
0: Oh, that sounds good. Stick with that. Cool. Cool. Um, In 2015, you created the soundtrack for the documentary Packed in a Trunk, The Lost Art of Edith Lake Wilkinson. Uh, How did that opportunity come about, and what can you tell us about Edith?
1: Yeah, my friends who made the film, they directed uh, the film, were fans of mine, and we first met many years ago when I toured to LA. They introduced themselves. Um, Their names are Michelle and Barbara, and they said, we're fans of your music. We love you. We're filmmakers. We'd love to work with you um, if you're interested. So we kind of exchanged information, and then they had a short film called The Bedwetter, and they asked if um, I could use, if they could use my uh, songs for that for free, and I said, yeah, of course, and And they said, we'll pay you back someday, like someday when we have a film um, that gets more traction and has a budget, we'll make sure to treat you really well. And over the years, we were we became great friends and I stayed with them um, when I traveled to L.A. or toured to L.A. So they got the opportunity to make the film when two two more friends of theirs, um, Tess and Jane, the women in the film. Um, had the idea to sort of make make Edith's story into uh, an actualized thing, and then they reached out to me and just said, "Would you be interested in this?" So it was kind of a friends friends helping out friends and fans who became friends, and they randomly found my music on the internet one night, um, just sort of searching for for the name, just searching the name Danielle, because I had a family member they loved named Danielle that they lost. So they were searching Danielle's on the internet, and they found me, which I think is really sweet, uh, really amazing that they found me that way. And so one thing led to another. Fans became friends, and um, creative people working together and agreeing to uh, be good to one another uh, led me to that opportunity. And so the movie itself – um, we made it not knowing exactly where it would end up or or how it would become, but it, it ended up premiering on HBO and then was on Netflix for a while. It might still be, I'm not sure. But um, the film is about Edith Lake Wilkinson, um, an artist, and the great aunt of the woman who kind of stars in the film, Jane Anderson, and she... Um, uncovers and tells us what she remembers about discovering uh, an attic full of Edith's paintings. And then they kind of retrace the steps of what happened to Edith, who lived and painted in the early 1900s and then was kind of mysteriously put away into a mental facility and she was never heard from again. So the movie is about that. And I was asked to write the songs for the film and I had never done that before and I knew the imp- the story was so important to everybody involved and um it felt like such a a heart and soul storyline you know it wasn't just like a cartoon about a dog and so I took it really seriously and was very nervous but I think it all worked out perfectly and I I feel very honored to be to be and to get to use my gift to help tell someone's story. Like songwriting for me has mostly been about telling my story. So writing the soundtrack to Packed in a Trunk, The Lost Art of Edith Lake Wilkinson became another level of using what I do to help someone else um, share their story. And I, I thought that that was a really important moment and teaching moment in my life I had before I moved to Kansas City I had a framed photo of Edith Lake Wilkinson in my office in my music room and I would just sort of like look at her and talk to her occasionally like what do you what do you think Edith and she never visited me I kind of believe in ghosts she never um nothing spooky ever happened but uh she she was a big she was kind of like um a voice in my head or a you know like I don't know, a fairy godmother. Not not so much that, but just um, I thought An about her often. And, yeah, that, there you go. An inspiration. Yeah.
0: Wow. And that's something you'd uh, like to do again, perhaps?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I learned a lot that first time and I hope I could go into it with a little more confidence. The filmmakers are actually working on a new film called It's Not a Burden. And we're talking about making some songs together for that as well. And the new film is actually a documentary about, um, grown up children caring for their elderly parents. So this sort of thing of taking care of your parents once you're grown and they're now senior citizens, um, and the amazing things that arise, um, when you have to do that and, and care for your own parents who cared for you. So Mm.
0: Which is a big part of Asian culture and always has been, uh, but it's kind of coming into the West now a little bit.
1: Yeah, they they tried to interview all types of people and all all types of family dynamics. They've been traveling across the country, um, interviewing people. I'm not sure if they went international, but yeah. And my own family, my my mother. Um, And watching my mother care for my grandmother as she got older and needed to be put into um, an assisted living facility like a nursing home and um, how difficult that was for both of them and, you know, wondering if they'd made the right choice. And um, so it was fascinating to watch and I know I'll have to do it with my parents eventually Uh, and a lot of us will have to do it with our parents and it's just one of those things you rarely think of until it comes and then you go, yikes, I wish there was a documentary film about this to make (laughs) me feel better. And my friends are on it. My friends are on it.
0: No, that's a really important thing. That's interesting. Um, You you spoke a little bit there about uh, using your gift to uh, bring the music to life for the documentary. When did you realize you had a gift? When did you write your first song?
1: I wrote my first song when I was very young. I would say probably seven or eight. And it was bad. It was a bad song, Cameron. Um, (laughs) It was called Mr. Lender's Bagels Guy, which is a brand of bagel here in the US. It was. I'm not even sure if it is anymore.
0: So so even back then, you had sort of uh, marketing in in, in mind. Yeah.
1: Right. I've never thought of that. You're (laughs) so right. It was always about bread. (laughs) <laughs> um, bread is the main source of inspiration.
0: Corporate uh, sponsorship.
1: Right, right. But it was <laughs> to the tune. I was just sort of parodying, parodying the um, the song from Aladdin, Never Had a Friend Like Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like basically to the tune of Friend Like Me from Disney's Aladdin, but it was called Mr. Lender's Bagels Guy. That's the first song I remember writing and I remember like singing it to my sister Amanda. my grandparents farm being like mid i wrote a song you gotta hear it (laughs) and she was nice she was like she wasn't like danielle that's a bad song um and then through elementary school i had notebooks of lyrics that i often sung with like casio keyboard beats you know just the little beats installed on the keyboard and um and then i got into guitar playing when i was in high school so then i wrote some songs on guitar and I, I always loved creative writing and my family always encouraged me to be musical. So it was kind of natural to put the two together. And I was always writing. But the thing, Late Bloomer, um, the thing that took out the longest for me is admitting that I was doing it and the bravery to share it with others. So these were a lot of secret notebooks and a lot of secret songs that I didn't really share with anybody. Maybe my sister, maybe my best friend in high school, Alexa. I remember um, playing some songs for her. And everybody was nice about it. You know, I never got super negative feedback or or some grouchy teacher who told me I didn't have the talent or anything. I was just very shy and worried um, that I had any ability at all or that I had anything to say and who would want to listen to me and who do I think I am. So it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I really started doing open mic nights and performing publicly for strangers who weren't my friend's And family who would like absolutely have to lie to me, even if it was really bad. So that took me a long time. I've always been writing songs, but the sharing of songs feels actually like a relatively new. I've been I've been sharing songs, not even for half of my life. You know what I mean? I've been alive. How do we break that down? You get the you get the equation. It's like
0: Hmm. I haven't
1: been alive as long as I've been sharing Hmm. songs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? well, it it sounds like you grew up in a very supportive environment uh did your parents play music as well?
1: yeah, they did. um my mom is a music teacher now, and she got us started on piano. We had instruments and a piano in the house, and um she sang and she put us in choir, she played trumpet. My sister played trumpet, and then when it was when I was old enough to take uh private private lessons in school. I played violin and clarinet. Those were sort of my band instruments. And then was always in choir and um encouraged to do so and supported and my mom got me private violin lessons as I got better and and started pursuing that more seriously and and my dad was in theater and he was in barbershop quartets when he was younger, which I think is awesome. So, yeah, there's definitely a vein of performance and and music without a doubt in my family.
0: Hmm. Well, creatively speaking, then, uh, what keeps you going? What keeps you doing it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, too. I'm not entirely sure what keeps me doing it. I wake up and I'm doing the dishes and I... I instinctively start humming a song to myself whether it has words or just melody um I sing in the shower I sing when I'm driving my car and I have the instinct to record that sometimes and go this is going to be something I need to get this on tape so I don't forget it I think I think it's not a simple answer I think it's who I am you know and I can't break it down much more than that, like performance. I'm shy. So I always think, why did I get into this performance thing? It's quite terrifying. And then people see you and they want to talk to you and they want to be your friend. And that's an amazing gift. But you want to go back inside and be away from them so like what is this crazy instinct you have to get up there and say hey everybody look at me hey everyone listen I've got something to tell you but it's in me and I feel a little itchy if it's been a while since I've performed so there is something in me whether or not it's a tiny fire or a big explosion that's pulling me to do these things, to book shows so that I can get on stage or to say yes um, if someone asks me to sing on stage with them. And uh, and like songwriting, I'm always going to do it. It's just, it's just the thing I do. I don't know. Maybe like an artist would start doodling on a page and then before they knew it, they were working on their next masterpiece. I'm just... I'm always writing songs, which is a comfort to me because there's been a lot of times in my life where I'm not sure what I am supposed to be doing or who I really am. You know, if you're kind of good at a few things, you think, well, I guess I'm a a singer. I guess I'm a performer. I guess I'm a ukulele player. But like writing songs feels like the thing I've been doing since I was very young the thing I can't stop doing, even if I'm not sure what I want to say or if the songs I'm making aren't quite great to me, you know, like I'm always going to make them. So
0: as as even a form of kind of self-help. Absolutely.
1: I was just going to say that, like when I feel something or I'm thinking about something or I'm wondering, the go to way for me to work on that or try to answer that question or even to research it is to create a song. Um, like I have a song about the moon landing and I remember thinking about the moon landing and and I researched the moon landing for the song because I was like, wow, the moon, how cool, astronauts, the moon, wow, leadership, wow, governments, uh, you know, like the decision of, of governments to initiate something so dreamy as this. And so like I used it to research something that I found fascinating and and that's kind of a cool uh thing that comes along with it is I get to um express myself and work through issues and explore issues and learn more about issues. I had an ex-boyfriend once who we were talking about songs and he said I'm always I've always been jealous that you can write songs about how you felt or are feeling because I don't have an outlet like that. So I wish that I had a way to work through some of the things I'm going through. And it's amazing that you can do that yourself. And it was the first time I really thought, like, whoa, he's right. I'm lucky that I found this thing. Yeah, free counseling.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that really resonates with me, the sort of conflict between the artist and the performer. I I mean, I'm nowhere near your level, but I don't think you kind of need to be to feel that. You know, part of me wants to go out there and put on the biggest show ever. And uh, just as bigger part of me, if not bigger, wants to stay home and have a cup of tea and never speak to anyone again. Um, yes. And and I think, I guess every artist has that. I mean, you, whether you're painting or playing music or whatever you're doing. And also the sort of online world now with Instagram and the sort of digital division between well, it's, it's almost not a division now between the, the, the artist and the fan, like the fan can get way closer to the artist than ever before. But then does that put a lot of pressure on you to, to give them something?
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy posting things online, just like I started with the YouTube videos and I'm on all the social sites and I feel creatively productive. It can be a fine line between creativity and just sort of junk if you're Putting things online but there is a part of me that feels like I accomplish something if I share something on the internet the goal is to make it authentic and entertaining uh, and worthwhile for my fans um, and I love having fans online who I talk to because they can hold me accountable you know they can like I can say I made something and I want to get it ready so that you guys can see it. Uh, whereas if I don't have a show coming up or I don't know what's exactly going on with my schedule, it might be like, Oh, I don't have another show for a couple of months, but I want to show this to somebody now. So the fan base online is a great place for me to share myself that way. But it also overwhelms me as a, as an introvert. Um, and I'm not the most social of people. Uh, like social interaction takes a lot out of me, and 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 I find that even online, even if it's not people in direct contact with me out in public, I still feel overwhelmed sometimes with how to manage. Um, I, I want to be fair and friendly to everybody, but I've I've found recently actually that I just don't have the right kind of energy and the right kind of time um, to give my fans as much as I've been able to give them in the past. Uh, I, I weirdly feel like I'm going a little bit crazy and trying to make sure like everybody, like, yes, oh, congrats to your daughter who just graduated college. Yes, it's good to see you. Yes, I'll be in Phoenix next November. Yes, I did see that. Uh, Jake Shimabukuro video thanks for sharing yes you know and like it's awesome to have these people who want to share things with me and check in with me and see how I'm doing and when I'm coming to the next thing but there's one of me and thousands of them (laughs) so so I'm I'm trying to like protect myself for the long haul of like what can you manage how can you be fair and friendly um, but fair and friendly to yourself and not go crazy. So I don't know the answer to that. That's also something I'm working on as like I want to be there and I, I'm so grateful to all these people, um, but it's just not my strength to put myself out there all the time, all the ways. So I have to kind of store up the energy and only only give it out at certain times and in the right ways so that I don't... Um, Go crazy,
0: essentially. What are your thoughts on Spotify and streaming in general? Has that been helpful for you?
1: Yes and no. I think streaming sites are. They stink because they don't pay artists very well. And so they become a bit of a thorn in the side of ways that we've traditionally been able to make money. But they are great assets to music listeners and they have become a way for people to discover new music and to easily listen to and become a fan of one's music so they're ultimately assets in um in collecting fans and I think nurturing a a fan base but the problem that I see the biggest problem I have is that they're teaching fans, they're teaching this new generation of fans that you can get what whatever you want for a low amount of money that mostly goes to the company, not to the artist. And this is something I see happening everywhere in venues and online. People want everything and they think they're being music fans, but they're not actually supporting the music or the artists. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of supporting the machine And I'm not saying that the machine is bad and needs to be taken down. It's just, like, if you stream an artist's music on Spotify, think about buying it one time on, you know, uh, a program like iTunes or uh, wherever you download music, even if you don't prefer to listen to it on iTunes. Um, But that goes a long way. Even buying one track from an artist will pay me, like, 90% more, than Spotify will. Like I make four cents a month from Spotify, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or not, that's not true, like four cents a song. But like if I did, I did a little post on Facebook a few months ago that was like, if, if all of my monthly, you know, I think I had like 30,000 monthly listeners, which I think is great. Or maybe it was for a quarter that that seems like a lot. But let's say 30,000 people a year listen to me. I got paid like, Ten dollars by from Spotify, if thirty thousand people had bought one dollar like one track for one dollar, I'd have thirty thirty thousand dollars, so
0: yeah, and that would that would actually help you yeah
1: that I could yeah, I could make a living off of that, mm. no problem, mm-hmm. but that's what's um that's something I'm trying to do is to be kind about it, but to teach people like this is what Spotify does good and bad and like these are ways you can support art and i believe that people want to support art and are are good music fans and good people and if they knew more about it they would feel um, more inclined to do it in a different way so yes listen on spotify i use pandora actually more than spotify but i do try to buy the album of artists if i can
0: It's more that people really need to get educated about it and, um, yeah, I guess value creativity more or put any value on it and not think everything is free.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the same goes with live concerts. It's not just Spotify or streaming on the internet. I think a lot of people either don't want to pay a ticket price or don't tip, don't think to tip if an artist is playing for free, even if they're busking on the street or passing the tip jar at a gig. Or I notice a lot of people talk during shows and I get that if we're in a bar and it's a social setting you want to have a conversation with your friends Um, but I do think there are situations where it's a listening room and if you're talking during someone's performance it's just the most rude thing I could ever imagine and um I think that's another thing I I went I went on tour with my friend Peter Mulvey a, a a folk songwriter and we played uh in Bellingham, Washington, I think the venue is called The Green Frog, not important. It was a show that there there was a lot of people talking, but everybody was really nice, you know, everybody applauded. And during his set, I watched this table of younger people talking quite loud, talking the whole time. They would break to clap. And then afterwards, they came up to both of us and said, you're amazing. We loved your set. We're live music fans. We want to see you again. And I remember being surprised because they weren't really paying attention to any of it.
2: Mm. And
1: it's not my job to say how someone enjoys, you know, a performance. But I think a lot of people don't think that they might be ruining other people's time as those people are trying to listen to what's going on, or the person on stage, like, when I'm on stage, my music isn't that loud, I don't have a drummer, so I can hear a lot of people's conversations, if they're talking loud enough, and I think a lot of people maybe think, since I'm amplified, I can't hear, have you noticed that, do you get talkers?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Uh, and you just notice it in general, don't you, like, people just, I don't know, they, they sort of see everywhere as their house, you know, like, if you're on a plane or something, and people are just, like, kicking their shoes off, and Putting the feet on the seats, and you just think, well, you're, right. not, you're not actually in your house, like, and yeah, as a performer, I'm standing right here in front of you. You know, uh, this isn't Spotify Live; it's me. It's yeah, you know, a human person.
1: Exactly, and I mean that's maybe a broader thing to think about as, as humans how we're treating each other.
0: And and I think I don't know if it's the, the internet or um, you know things like Netflix and. I don't know, just people just seem to have a a kind of a disconnect with the real world now. And maybe that's going to get worse with virtual reality and all that sort of thing. But hopefully not.
1: I teach performance workshops at ukulele festivals. And one of the things I say is like, if you're trying to get better at performance and you're up here, you know how scary it is. So please remember that when you're an audience member, like anybody who's brave enough to get on stage and say, I've been working on this thing. Even if they're bad, even if they're the worst open mic night musician you've ever heard, they're still opening up to this greater force of like, I'd like to show you something.
0: Yeah. Massive bravery in that.
1: Yes. And I think we should go, Hey, let's give this brave soul some some respect and see what they have to say and like that's a big deal so it's not hard for me to turn to stop my conversation to turn and look and definitely clap um, when someone has the guts to be brave on stage it's a big deal and I think it's it's a shame when people are just talking through it I think what else do you do that I would find disrespectful you've just got a load of things that bother me about your, your personality <laughs>
0: Another bugbear of mine is, especially at at Uke festivals, uh, is artists not supporting each other, whether they're in a group or... Well, it's usually more if they're in a group, I guess. They'll, They'll get up there and they'll do their set and they'll be really happy with it and people will like it. And then maybe I'll come up next or there'll be another solo performer coming up next. And then they'll just go. They'll just disappear because they've done their part and, you know, they're happy with that. But they're not there to support other people which annoys me
1: yeah that annoys me too i've seen that too with low turnouts in the crowd you know like maybe only a couple people yeah and then the other bands aren't out supporting each other so there could be like six more people in the crowd to watch each of the bands but they're in the green room being cooler they
0: leave yeah they just leave and go and have a drink and you know they've done their part so it's kind of over for them it's like well it's not over we're all in this together Anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm lucky. I think that's something I saw. I was taught. I'm not sure that there was a specific person that taught me, but growing up and playing shows with other musicians, I had good people lead by example, you know, of like, we stay, we support, we're we're here for you. We say hello in the green room or we say hello after your set. And um, that that was definitely noted in my head of like that meant so much to me. So as I get better at this, and and I start to have openers. I'm gonna watch their set. I'm gonna applaud for them. I'm gonna tell them great job and thank you, cause I don't know we're busy people. Blah blah blah. But it doesn't take that much to let, to let someone know you see them. You know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. if it's for a couple songs, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I will. I will bad mouth my family, um, on this podcast. I my <laughs> my family is the one the type who will go like okay your set's over or what time is your set will come for you and then leave
0: yeah well, I mean, when the
1: other people play my, and yeah, I,
0: my family can be similar i think all families can be similar
1: maybe we give them we give them an excuse since they're family but i i i want to say the other person who's playing tonight is someone else's daughter and the other the other group that's playing tonight is someone else's children so like don't forget about that. I know and you know, you can't go to every show and stay for 3 hours. Sometimes these shows go on a long time, but um I haven't think of that. It's like I this is my job. I'm going to I'm going to come at the beginning and listen to the first band and stay till the end if I can and listen to the last band and try to be a part of it cuz it's an honor to be a part of it all and yeah, like we were talking about before. Somebody's somebody's saying to us, the human race and the universe, Hey, I think I'm going to get up on stage, be brave, and I have something that I think you might want to hear. And I think that's incredible.
0: Mm, absolutely. Do you have any advice for aspiring musicians?
1: Oof, yeah. I think performing is really difficult for me anyway, because I was shy. And I think you have to practice performing just like you do songs. So you have to get up there and do it a few times before it starts to feel right and you figure out the the way you want to do it. As far as a music career, like making money as a musician or starting to book shows or figuring out exactly what you want your path to look like, I think different strokes for different folks. Like uh, My career was very indie DIY and I booked everything myself and I kind of I saw other people doing maybe dive bars, uh, and I did coffee shops because coffee shops didn't take a production fee. Um, So like I saved money, or I made more money by avoiding um, venue fees, you know, and that wouldn't work if I had had a band that needed amplification everywhere I went. So I think you you can make up your own path if the way that other people are doing it doesn't feel right to you and if uh, if you don't know what to do copy someone else's path i've definitely just like google searched artists like me or artists i look up to to see what venues they're playing and the routes they take around the country to go like oh i should make a tour that looks like them and i wonder if i could get in that venue and um more than anything i think you have to be a bit driven and I don't know what it was in me, but I was just like, I'm going to book a show, I'm going to book a tour, I'm going to figure out how to do this. So if if the opportunities aren't coming to you, if you feel like you're not being booked, or if you feel like there's not a good venue in your town, where you can play and do the thing uh, that suits you, like create your own opportunities... And it won't happen overnight, but it'll. I think it feels good to feel like you're chipping away at the block as opposed to waiting for people to come to you or doing something that other people are doing that's not quite right for, for your sound or or the way you're expressing yourself. So I'm a big fan of good old-fashioned, hard, creative work. Like y- you come up with what you want it to look like and how you want it to be. And that's hard. It's a lot of work.
0: Hmm. Who do you look up to uh, in the music business?
1: Yeah, I look up to my friend Peter Mulvey, who I mentioned earlier. He's a s- singer-songwriter. singer-songwriter has been touring for, I think, 20 years, maybe even more. He's released, like, over 20 albums of original music. He's an incredible stage performer. He tells stories that are thoughtful and funny. Um, he's got amazing wit And he's always treated me with such kindness and respect. He's definitely um, more successful and knows more than me, but he's never belittled me or made me feel like the junior. You know what I mean? He's Mm -hmm. always treated me as his equal. Mm. And that just like rings so true to me of like, I want to treat people, not like, you know, you, you meet people, you play with your heroes and they say, oh, you're doing such a great job. Keep at it. You're you're just so sweet. Keep keep going. Keep (laughs) Keep trying. trying.
0: (laughs) One day you'll get there.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. I'm already doing it. Yeah. But Peter Mulvey has just always been like, hey, soldier. He calls people soldiers like folk musicians who tour were soldiers, you know, and he'll just say like, hey, soldier. And yeah, he treats me like an equal, even though he's much much wiser and experienced than me. I also love Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I look up to a lot of like the female pop singers. I love I love pop music, but I I like watching women who are sort of like running the, the they are the face of their business and their art and their empire, and I like studying them and wondering how they handle the pressure of like tabloids and multi-million dollar careers and relationships because these are things that I struggle with of like what do I what do I do when I'm dating someone do I post a picture of them online um
0: imagine dealing with their Instagram
1: I know there's so much hate the comments that they get that just doesn't make any sense so I do like looking up to the super big pop singers um And my friend Sky Zents, who I also mentioned, we're doing the June Song A Day project. She's she's someone I look up to as, as far as like a female songwriter and maker who's passionate and creative and we are both as fierce as we are sensitive. So she's always been a really good sounding board for me to say like, this thing happened at a show and I felt... I felt great about it, or I felt bad about it. What do you think? My friends Victor and Penny—they're a duo who play ukulele and guitar. You might have heard of them. I have. Um, they're also touring musicians, so they've offered me countless advice and camaraderie on just like how crazy it is to be out there making your living on the road. So a lot of the people I looked up to are my friends who I call when I'm when I'm upset or when I'm inspired and um and that's really cool to be surrounded by people i'm looking up to and learning from who do you look up to
0: who do i look up to oh i hate it when the, the guest turns it around on me <laughs> <laughs> who do i look up to gosh um well you know what uh, have you heard of steve Poltz?
1: yeah i have
0: yeah yeah he's a, he's one i look up to because i i randomly saw him at the Canberra in Canberra here in Australia at the National Folk Festival had no idea who he was and just stumbled upon his show and he was just so engaging he had the the audience in the palm of his hand just telling stories with you know telling actual stories and and song uh, stories through his songs and just had an incredible energy and confidence about him that I really look up to so I, I, I'd go with Steve Paltz I think
1: that's amazing I've definitely been close in pl- close proximity with him but I've never actually gotten to meet him or see him perform but everyone who who works with him or has seen him raves so he just must be amazing I work with a guy named Casey Turner who puts on shows in uh, San Francisco California and he always has Steve Pultz come around and, and work his house concert series and it sounds like they're amazing shows so he's going to be on my list of people to see and probably eventually really look up to.
0: Well, look, you're also on my list because I mean, you do incredible Ooh, work. You do. And cool. uh, yeah, yeah. It inspires me to put more of my, uh, myself out there. I think.
1: Awesome. That's a great way for me to inspire people. Um, that's something I think I hope for. I, I love like, um, if people say like, well, I heard your song and I, Comforted me in a summer when I lost my mother or when I went through a breakup. But I also love the f- the feedback of like seeing you share made me feel like I could share or like I could create or that I, I could get up there and-, and go for it, which is very cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And it's very important, I think. What's your definition of success then?
1: Ooh, it's changed for me over the years. When I first started, I did want to be famous. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, I think I thought it meant a certain number. Like numbers were big, YouTube subscribers, amount of money I made, comparing myself to others. Like, oh, my friend on YouTube has this many subscribers and they got that many views. I want to be like that. And um, a great lesson I learned is not to compare myself to others, especially my friends on YouTube. But now that I'm older, and I have had some success, I would say, uh, I'm fairly, I've got a great fan base, I'm i am well known, if you know me, you're excited about it, and there are plenty of people who don't know me, so there's there's room to grow.
0: Yeah, well you are famous in a way.
1: Yeah, I kind of am, it's its yeah. weird to think about, but yeah, I'm on an Australian podcast right now. Like,
0: oh, exactly right, uh, you've never been to Australia, have you?
1: I haven't, no.
0: No, well you've got to come out.
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I'd love to. Um, Now that I'm older and I've had a bit of success, I think it's more just about being able to have a life that feels creative and authentic, which is a little more ethereal. It's harder to nail down, but like being able to make enough money that I can do art as a living or have enough time to do my art and I want to have col- a colorful life and Make stuff and have good good relationships with my friends and family and a good mental relationship with myself. And um, I just kind of want to make stuff. Like if it didn't have to be about money, making money, I would just wake up and be like, "What am I gonna make today? Maybe it's a song. Maybe I'll sew a dress. Maybe I'll learn a new craft. Um, maybe I'll make a a time-lapse video of my astronaut toy walking down the sidewalk. Um, but I just think it's fun to, to make stuff. Uh, and so the ability to make stuff, um, that I want and that interests me is my definition for success.
0: Okay. That's a great answer. Cool. Um, okay. Finally then, in a recent tweet, you said you're trying to practice being proud of who you are. Which really, oh, yes. really struck a chord with me. Yeah, you know, if you'll pardon a terrible pun, uh what, <laughs> what 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 did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think I mean the tweet itself was inspired by. Take, I'm taking time away from the stage this year, so I'm not performing as much, and I'm not. I don't have as many shows to advertise or as many things to put out there. And in the past, that's been the way that I've gotten a lot of um, compliments or attention or applause or way to go or you're amazing. So as I'm doing that less, I'm confronted with who am I if I'm not this person who performs on stages Um, And I know that I'm worthy, even if I'm not on stage, and I think it's valuable not to put too much importance into getting applause and compliments from people. Like, I always want to be grateful for that, you know, but if if I'm looking for that and expecting that, that feels unhealthy to me. So the, the tweet of, I'm trying to be proud of who I am, I think is like coming to terms with who I am when I'm not on stage and maybe... When I am on stage, people form this idea of who I am. They think I'm well read and funny all the time and always in a good mood and always whip whip smart and sassy and and put together. And that's not the case at all. And I sometimes feel very simple and ordinary on a daily basis when I'm not performing. I feel ignored by a lot of people. You know, I'm not like stand- I'm not like a woman wearing like a purple coat and um, a big green wig or anything. So <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, I blend in. And sometimes that's scary to me because I do like to feel extraordinary. And I think we're all extraordinary, but sometimes it's harder to remember that if you're not getting a certain amount of attention. And that's like social media can be dangerous for me.
0: And for everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, all of us. We crave that attention or that quick that quick fix of like, I want someone to pay attention to me right now. I feel lonely. I feel a void. And so we post just to get feedback. So the, the tweet is about that. Is about being like, Danielle, some days you don't ask for much. Some days you're not touring the world. Some days you're staying at home and watching TV and that's okay. And I, I, I have to convince myself of that because I can be hard on myself of like, you're not doing cool enough stuff, you're not learning enough, you're not interesting enough, and well, that's no way to talk to yourself. How did it strike a chord with you? Are you feeling similar, or...?
0: Yeah, I think everybody is, to some extent. Um, you know, it's 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 tricky. Again, getting back to that thing of the, the conflict between artist and performer, as you say, you, you kind of, you, you crave feedback and and applause and whatever else, but sometimes, you know, you're just not feeling it. And uh, I guess that, yeah, it's it's okay to feel like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, on that sort of uh, note, we should probably wrap things up, I guess.
1: Okay. Lovely to speak to you. Excellent interview. And thank you for asking such thoughtful questions and reading my tweets. Twitter's actually my favorite social media. And... Yeah, because it's just sort of my thoughts, and mm. it does feel like one of the ones that is a little silly. Like, did I really need to tweet that thought? But it also becomes sort of my friend. It's like my friend throughout the day where I'm like, I, I had a thought, and I don't know where to put it. I'd like to put it on Twitter because I, I want to share it with somebody, but I don't, you know, I don't know. So it's cool that you're reading them and um, thinking about them, and, and they're potentially reaching you. So, on the flip side, social media can be dark, but it can also be a wonderful way to express yourself. so just all in moderation
0: All right, well, then, what about uh plugging things? I know you've been on Patreon for quite a while. Uh, people can support you that way How, how is that a, a good way for people to support you, especially people who live in Australia?
1: Yeah, Patreon is a great way to support me and other artists you might like.:
0: I've actually just started one myself, but uh, i haven't even I haven't even you know told anyone yet. I'm cool you cool now, i'm yeah, on patreon yeah support
1: both <laughs> of us um it's it's a way for fans to pledge uh like a monthly contribution or a a per post contribution to the f- uh the musicians or the artists or the podcasts uh that they love uh and and take uh, advantage of their art and it's a great monthly in source of income for me and it sort of fuels the projects that are a little a little less unseen it, it it helps pay for and nurture the, the process of them as opposed to the show, you know, is like we buy the ticket or the album is done and we buy the album. But um, these things are sort of fueling like I'm taking guitar lessons and beatboxing lessons. I took voice lessons for a while. So I'm trying to get better. And, and um, the pledges on Patreon help me while I'm not outwardly performing and sort of, um, help nurture my career. It's especially great for international fans. So since I'm probably not going to come to Australia, I I will be there soon, but maybe not in the next few months. So it's a great way to support me, um, across, across the water. And then, uh, I'm on all the social medias. If you just want to follow along for my posts, my thoughts on Twitter, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, And YouTube, I've got over 200 YouTube videos of me performing my original songs and covers, again, with those wacky skits we mentioned. And I just released a new album. It's called Live in San Francisco. I recorded a house show that I performed in San Francisco. So it's a live performance of me telling my stories, talking to the audience, having them sing along with some of my favorite songs. So it's kind of a cool... Uh, a cool album that kind of spans the length of my career because it's some of the old songs and some of the new ones. And it gives you a really good taste of what it's like to be at one of my shows. It's just me and the instrument and the songs and you, the audience. So it's called Live in San Francisco. It's on all the places you'd buy and find music, including Spotify. It's also on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and Bandcamp. And then you can order physical copies on my website, so that's all I really want to plug. And believe in yourself. You're not boring. Even if the things you do on a daily basis are kind of boring. I bet you're great.
0: That's a terrific note to end on. And I'm going to go and buy that album right now.
1: Great. I'm going to go support you on Patreon.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's, let's do that. And I'll <laughs> put all the, uh, all your social links and uh, your Patreon, of course, in the show notes. Cool. And it's just been a delight to speak to you. And maybe we'll catch up again Some other time. Maybe when you're here, we can do a live podcast.
1: I'd love that. If I, trust me, if I'm coming to Australia, I'm saying hello to you.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Danielle.
1: Thank you, Cameron. Have a great day. You too. Bye.
0: Okay, well, you know what to do. Go and check out com and all the other links I've put in the show notes. And please rate Ukulele Stories and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, here's Danielle with her beautiful song, The Universe, from her new album, Live in San Francisco, which you should all go and buy right now so she can keep doing what she does best. Until next time, keep on strumming.
2: across the universe wishing in a well But I got all I need right here And there are dogs all through the neighborhood aching for a bone But I got what I need The universe The universe is Expected she provides There are satellites In outer space Sending signals home So I can call you later On the phone And there are traffic guards And towers tall Telling planes to land So you can make it safely On the ground The universe The universe is big and wide and when you least expect it she provides might be life on other planets and they might understand how good it feels when you touch me with your hands someday science might explain compared to all the other souls if you and I were Meant the way we hoped. The universe, the universe is big and wide. And when you least expected, she provides. The universe, the universe is big and wide. And when you least expected, she provides. the universe wishing in a well but I got all